Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. On this episode, the patriarchy goes to Israel, and I interview Michael Foster on open-air evangelism. Join us as we build, fight, protect, and lead. This is the patriarchy. Rise up, for men of God, have done with lesser... <laughs> But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. That is Galatians 4.26. And I am Pastor Joseph Spurgeon. You are listening to the Patriarchy Podcast on Roundtable Media, a ministry of Sovereign King Church. It's good to be back with you. I recently got to take a trip, a trip I had long dreamed to take but was never quite sure I would get to do. That is, I went to Israel. I had long wanted to see the locations found in the Bible with my very own eyes. But this trip was even better because not only did we take and go to some of the touristy areas, I got to preach and proclaim Christ in the same cities, the same areas, the same towns that he himself proclaimed, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And man, it was a blessing. It was something that I needed to take to get a, uh, a, a just fill my cup up uh, uh, as a pastor. And some of you helped me fund the trip. And so I thought then, well, it would be an encouragement to you to hear how the Lord worked while the gospel was being proclaimed to Jew and Gentile alike. Um, because of that, then I've, I've interviewed one of the men who went with me on this trip, Michael Foster. We not only talked about the trip we get into a good conversation about the effectiveness of open-air evangelism and the sovereignty of God. And so I think you'll be encouraged by this. If you're listening to this episode on your podcast uh, capture, wherever you get your podcast, go ahead and listen. But I, I, I highly recommend going to either the Patriarchy Podcast YouTube or Facebook page and watching it because there's a whole lot of good footage from our work in Israel that I've included in this episode. In fact, it's taken me a while to edit, so you won't want to miss out on that. So again, you can go ahead and listen to it, but the best way to get this episode is to view it. So anyways, on with the interview. Welcome back to the Patriarchy Podcast. I am here with my good brother, Michael Foster. He is a pastor and a missionary in Romania where he has served for 10 years. He has been sent out from a, a mission agency in New England called Real Ministries. Uh, and he is married, has two children. His wife and his children are there with him in Romania. In fact, I think you, you met your wife in Romania. Uh, I did, I did, was, yeah. That was part of his mission. And so, uh, 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 Welcome to the Patriarchy Podcast. A blessing to be here with you guys, brother. Thanks for the invite. So, Michael, uh, just had a first question was like, when is the follow-up to It's Good to Be a Man going to come out? 
<laughs> well, I am uh, not the Presbyterian version of Michael Foster. I'm the Reformed Baptist version of Michael Foster. And uh, so the follow-up isn't going to be coming out. Maybe God will give me the grace to write something one day, but I have not yet been uh, given the grace to do that. All right. You should write the book, It's Good to Be Michael Foster. <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that, brother. There we go. Uh, um, the reason I have you on the, the show today, Michael, you know, uh, we've been friends for a while on social media. In fact, I, uh, the, kind of the joke is I would get you confused with the other Michael Foster, and I'm sure that's never happened to you with anybody else. But oh, No, never. But <laughs> um, the Lord blessed us that we were able to actually meet in person. And yeah. we... Uh, we were able to meet in person, not in Romania or the United States, but in Israel. And so we just spent about a week and a half in Israel, uh, traveling, touring. But more than just touring, we've been we were preaching the gospel, a lot of street preaching, evangelism. And so uh, I thought it'd be good to just have you on the show, talk about why Israel, what we did there, and maybe testimony from that time. So let's sure. start. Let's start with the first question. Why Israel? Why, 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 why did you go to Israel? Uh, yeah, so um, I've had the opportunity to, uh, to travel more than most uh, with my missions organization, kind of scouting and, um, you know, looking for potential missionaries or potential locations to partner with missionaries. Uh, and Israel was a place that um, it was on my heart, and, and it's a place where not many missions organizations or missionaries go in general. Um, it's a, a people, the people groups that are there, both the Arab Muslims and the Orthodox Jews, are people that uh, uh, largely Christians stay away from or they're afraid to go uh, minister to. So there was that aspect of it where I said, you know, Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 10 to go to the lost sheep of Israel and proclaim the gospel. We know that their eyes are veiled and they don't see Jesus for who he is. But uh, there was also a secondary thing, and that was when I looked at the roster of people who were going. Uh, the opportunity to get to know some of the guys who I've only known on social media like yourself and get to know them in person. And I, you know, um, I was blessed uh, more than I can express here to uh, be able to meet and know all of you guys um, during this time in this trip. Yeah, uh, it, it was uh, interesting just how God put together a team of uh, evangelistic minded Christians uh, just kind of from all over. You're in Romania. We had Daniel Kearney, who kind of uh, led the, the trip from Nepal. And, uh, you know, myself from Indiana, Jerry Doris from Kentucky. Uh, I yeah. can't, I'm, I'm going to forget people, but... Uh, uh, yeah, Adam Albright was from California. California. Yeah. Uh, Bobby McCreary was from Georgia. Uh, Adam uh, Kutshaw was from uh, Tennessee. And I don't know where Brother Bill was from or some of the other people, but it was just barely spread out for sure. Yeah. And I think for me, this was a uh, kind of a dream trip. Like I had uh, long wanted to go see the place where uh, the the things in our faith happened. You know, our faith is a tangible faith in the sense of God became man. He took on human flesh and he dwelt amongst us. And so everything in our religion is uh, very earthy in a sense that God created the earth, he connected it, uh, there's people and places, and so I've longed to to want to go see those things. I, I, in fact, I've watched uh, uh, for years videos of the place on YouTube, tour videos and those things, and so for me, when, when Daniel was putting together a team to go minister, it was like, 
Okay, I, I actually, in fact, I even mentioned to him, I'd like to go with you, kind of wishful thinking. Yeah. And and then he uh, uh, he's like, oh, yeah, we're going in like three or four months. And, and then I was like, oh, this is going to be real. And uh, uh, I kind of put out a thing asking, uh, well, for one, I, I asked God, if, like, if you provide the means for me to go, I'll go. And um, so... I kind of put out a thing on, on social media to see if anybody would be willing to, to help fund. And within three days, I was able to fund my entire trip. So yeah, I actually remember I actually remember seeing your post for that. And uh, I saw the Lord's favor in, in his uh, providence over the trip for you. It was a, a blessing to even watch from afar. Yeah. So uh, it was uh, my, my motivations were going were that this is like uh, a place where Jesus was. And now we get to share the gospel there. And then I think as uh, I went, some of my, even God opened my heart as what what you were saying regarding uh, the Bible speaks of the gospel going first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And and we got to preach to both Jew and Gentiles there. So we did, yeah. Um, why, why, how about we just, just talk about what are some of the things that you, we did there while we were there? Maybe uh, just walk us through the trip. Yeah, sure. I mean, so, um, you know, we started off um, rightfully uh, proclaiming the gospel to Jews. And we went down to um, uh, the old city first. I think this was the day before you guys got there. We were at the Jaffa Gate and um, uh, not quite the Wailing Wall, but the Jaffa Gate in areas within in, in, within the old city. And then the, and then um, the, day at, the day you guys arrived, I know you remember this, quite clearly we went down to zion square and uh we opened up oh no actually no we did that the day before you got there as well so we went to zion square zion square is in west jerusalem which is the new city of jerusalem and it's very very uh jewish and both religious jews and non-religious jews but as soon as you go there and open your mouth and mention jesus you know yeshua hamashiach jesus the messiah uh hostility really comes forth almost instantly people just get uh enraged they've been brainwashed and they've been taught uh to hate the name of jesus that it's synonymous with the persecution of the jews that it's an anti-semitic religion and it's brought forth even the holocaust some of them believe. uh so we started off there we did that uh and we of course we experienced the hostility from that we also proclaimed the gospel at the damascus gate which is the the muslim court um, and surprisingly, and this may be surprising to, to many people's ears, they were hostile too, but nothing like the Jews. Um, they got angry and aggravated and threw water bottles and stuff like that, but nothing like what we experienced in West Jerusalem. Uh, and then from there, I believe you can correct me if I'm wrong, we went into um, predominantly Christian sites that, that following that, which uh, isn't really true believers. It's a lot of people coming there to worship the shrines and the monuments and trying to uh, get close to God through a pilgrimage to Israel and by visiting these things rather than uh, drawing near to God through Christ. So we were able to pr- proclaim the gospel to them and then of course from there we branched out and we um, went to other locations and, and it kind of encompassed all three of those dynamics, either Arabs, Jews, or uh, nominal or professing Christians. Um, tourists is what I like to call them. Uh, and that's kind of what the trip uh, was embodied by. Um, yeah, and one of the things, even with all three of those groups, that really stuck out to me was the external nature of the religion, right? How yeah. 
uh, uh, the, their religion was primarily uh, external. It was uh, the, 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 the rites and the rituals and, and uh, um, wearing, like for example, the Jews wear the tassels and the, or the, the Hasidic Jews wear all black and, and have the long curly hair and the, the hats. But uh, a lot of times their behavior didn't match the, the external. You know, it's not that we, we don't believe that our religion ought to impact what happens externally. But uh, it begins in the heart. And, and so one of the things that really stuck out to me, and I don't know if it stuck out to you, was just like how even now in Jerusalem and the surrounding region, Jesus's criticisms and rebukes of the Pharisees and of the Jews was true really of all three of those groups. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, for me, it kept coming to mind that I know you know when Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and he said, you guys continue to clean the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup is filthy. And uh, that was glaring there. It, it, it was so glaring. I mean, uh, when you're there too and you come, I know you would, you would probably agree with this. If you're not prepared for that, their external, uh, the outward external appearances can almost be intimidating because of the way they, they, they look religious. Um, but of course, we came there understanding that what we were going to be speaking into and what we were going to address. And even when, uh, I, I, I don't know if you would agree with this, but I, I kind of find it interesting when, when we were proclaiming the gospel to Jews and claiming Christ as Messiah, they would say, where is he? Like they needed to, they, they, were, they were, you know, uh, faith is the evidence of things unseen. But they needed to see it. Uh, and so many of them kept asking, if Jesus is risen, where is he? You guys are talking about this spiritual idea. So everything was not only external, but also physical. Uh, that's the way that I, I view it. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons the, the Jews uh, reject Christ, because their view of the kingdom is very much uh, uh, the Messiah would come in and establish a physical kingdom of Israel. That he would establish, you know, a political thing. He would sit on the throne, and then there would be peace there in the Middle East, in the sense of political peace and prosperity. And um, it's kind of everything that, like, uh, a dispensational uh, um, people think will happen when Jesus returns and sets up a thousand-year millennial reign. That's what they are. They were like, well, where did, when did that happen? And because that. They they tend to, to to neglect or forget the the aspect that Christ came to bring peace between God and man, and and, and His kingdom uh, first begins in the heart, then it extends everywhere else. Yeah. So uh, one of the things you, you mentioned is we we preached in Zion Square, and there was some hostility. And one of the way, reasons we kind of can see the difference between external and internal was really like some of the language they would use. I remember oh. like getting getting cussed out by a, a you know a full Jew, yeah. like like a, a all, an all the garb. Yeah, I mean, and that happened, and, and not not just that. Even when we would, uh, a couple times we were preaching at night, or or we even just talking to people, and these were people in the religious garb, and they would use profanity that even uh, uh, some atheists wouldn't use. Um, and it would just come out of their mouth, and it was just like, dude, you guys are artificial, man. Your your religion is a farce. It's just a, a front, um, you know. And, and they're rooted in their, they're, they're ingrained in their traditions, but their traditions 
are empty. There's no, we're not, we're not against tradition, but tradition should be something that is spawned forth from a spiritual reality within, within you. Uh, theirs was the opposite. It's traditions that mean nothing uh, in their lives. So that, of course the filthy language and other things that came out of their mouths made it glaringly apparent that they didn't even follow their own religion. One of the things that uh, I, I remember in Zion Square that I used in, in the preaching that I was doing was I was talking about how, in fact, I, I read from Matthew 23 mm-hmm. and Jesus's rebukes of the Pharisees and, and that cleaning outside the cup and all the external hypocritical things. And I was able to point to them and say, look, you're you're very religious, but look right here. You're flying the rainbow flag. And so, like, right in the city square there, in that Zion Square, was giant rainbow uh, uh, LGBT flag, which they were going to be having a big festival. One of the things that we were going to, we, we did go to while we were there and preached. And so, uh, I actually noticed that when I pointed that out, there was quite a large crowd gathering, and they were they were starting to calm down and starting to listen. And I, I, I saw people shake their heads a little bit, like, okay, they could see the self, some of the hypocrisy so yeah we were in uh zion square and we were preaching we talked about the hypocrisy uh, uh another thing there there was like some jew going around yelling shame 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 i remember that it was kind of like yep. eye-opening and then jerry and he was North, actually trying to start and he got the crowd riled up so they were doing it like a group chant. yeah so yeah and then and then uh jerry got punched by the same guy yeah and he, yep. he actually he took the punch for me because I was preaching, yep. and, uh, and uh, thankfully it wasn't that big of a of a deal. Um, but while this was going on, that uh, I don't want to say that there was just opposition because even in that time, which I would say for me that was probably that particular day was the, the I think the most opposition that we got. Um, mm-hmm. As far as uh, you may have other uh, accounts. But there was also conversations that were able to happen. Um, did you feel like it, it starting with the uh, Zion Square, there were any, like, can you give good examples, not just the thought Yeah, yeah. So, so actually, um, one of the roles I had on the team was to be kind of the designated camera guy. So I was paying attention a lot of times to what everyone else was doing and what was happening aside from the preaching. And I think this uh, is something of a testimony, not just in Israel, but of open-air evangelism in general. A lot of times people who have never done it or people who are against these this kind of evangelism would criticize it, saying, you're just preaching at people rather than talking to people. And it, quite the opposite is true in, in all cases, but even more so in Israel, where, yes, there was the hostility that was there and the, and the, the anger that was uh, visibly apparent. But within the midst of that, God, God's grace was being bestowed, and we had the opportunity to engage in many dialogues throughout the time we were there, and some dialogues that were absolutely amazing. Um, did we see any salvations take place? I wouldn't say that we did, but we, we know that one plants, one waters, but God brings the growth. Um, so I, I saw that throughout. Almost every time I think we preached, we had what I would use, and this might be um, a cliche thing to say, there were people of peace that were willing to uh, at least engage and in, in, in ask, well, why do you believe, Je- in the case of the Jews, why do you believe Jesus is the Messiah? Or, you know, just have a, um, a respectful dialogue, if you will. And uh, for me, those moments were really, really encouraging. And 
Um, there was one instance that God ordained, and I'm, I'm going to kind of, I don't even know if you want to go here or not, but where you and Jerry were out one night, and it wasn't even street preaching, but the providence of God allowed you guys to have what I consider to be the most amazing night of conversations in the entire team and in the entire trip, which is what we kind of hung our hat on as a team, as God's sovereign grace being bestowed on the work that we were doing. And uh, maybe you want to pick it up from there. Sure, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, you kind of set me up really good. But for me, that is the, the, what I'm about to talk about is the highlight of the trip. Uh, and just an amazing example of God's providence in using us in a way that we didn't plan. So Jerry, Pastor Jerry Doris from Reformation Church and I were out uh, just kind of looking through the city. We wanted to see uh, uh, some of the shops, kind of buy souvenirs for our family. And we ended up getting some dinner. And uh, uh, in fact, while we were eating, like some kind of music came on over the the somewhere and it sounded like, like a heavenly choir or whatever. But we got up and we were trying to find our way back to our, our, our gate, which was the Damascus gate. We were a little disoriented. And there was this Jewish woman that was like, you guys seem a little lost. And she's, we were telling her where we were looking for. And she's like, oh yeah, follow me. And so we kind of follow her through the city streets and of, of old Jerusalem. And she's like, I'm going to the Welling Wall to pray. She was, uh, she had moved there. We got to talk to her a little bit about Christ. And, but she uh, said, you can get from the, the Welling Wall straight to Damascus Gate. So we get to the Welling Wall. You know, that's the place where... The, well, for the Jews, it's their most holy place, the place they can closest they can get to the Temple Mount. The very bottom of it is uh, has some leftover bricks from the retaining wall of when Herod was in power, and so therefore it would have had retaining wall when the Temple was there. And so they they go there to pray daily. Um, very holy place. You got to go through security get there. In fact, uh, our brother Daniel Kearney. Uh, the day before had preached there for maybe five minutes if you got five minutes uh, oh not, not even i recorded the video it's like a minute and 30 seconds yes yeah, so okay so he got like two minutes or, or something yeah and you know they pulled him out because you're you're not allowed to talk about jesus there like you're just not allowed and uh, i mean it could be dangerous there but so she takes us and we get to the welling wall and we're getting ready to leave and i was like Jerry and I were, I don't know who said it, was like, hey, let's just, let's take a look at it one more time. And we walked over, and then there were like hundreds and hundreds of Hasidic or ultra-Orthodox Jews, and they were just kind of running around, like, and it was just late at night, and uh, I got out my camera and was filming it, I filmed them, some of them, they had these, these hand-washing stations for ritual purity, kind of a lot like what you read in the Bible, and one of the Jews was like, saw my camera and he was like hey you want to know what's going on and so he wanted to talk and he's like there's a rebbe a rabbi uh uh uh, uh coming what's going on we're here washing our hands yes getting pure okay. if you look over there by the by the wall you yes. see the big big a big big rabbi coming the bells of the rabbi the, the what the bells of the rabbi the bells the rabbi the rabbi the rabbi Okay, okay. Yeah, a real rabbi. He'll probably come in like a nice, like a nice white SUV, and black hair and everything. Oh, okay. So he's he's like a well-known. Very, very big. Very well-known. Very excited too. Is it being a nice? They call it a tish. I'm having a
fact, he was like one of the, I guess, leading rabbis. His son was getting married, and he's going to be coming here, and everybody's super excited to see him. And uh, so we, we got there, and we were watching, and these Jews were, like, running around. They were stacking chairs. Uh, they, they formed this big U-shape at the, at, the, at the wall, and then they were stacking chairs so they could stand on the chairs to be able to see over the crowds. It kind of reminded me of Zacchaeus or whatever climbing up on a tree. And and then um, there was another little section that I was standing at, and I had these Orthodox Jews all around me, literally, like, standing on my shoulders. And they were so giddy, man. Like, it was, like, it was, like, really crazy just how excited they were to see this rabbi. And he was going to drive in in the Mercedes-Benz, and he was going to drive all the way up to the wall. And they were just, like, counting down the time. They were taking looking at each other and they, they, they would look at me and, and, and for one I'm wearing, you got to know what I'm wearing too. A, Hawaii, a, red, a red Hawaiian shirt with a, 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 um, with a cowboy hat. Like I stick completely out. White dude, red Hawaiian shirt and a cowboy hat and they're all in black and I'm this one lone guy surrounded, just surrounded by them. In fact, I got a little claustrophobic at one point in time. Cause like they were like standing on me, they I took a picture and they all smiled and they and they were like just you could just tell they were super excited. They looked at me, and it was almost like they didn't even recognize I didn't belong there because they were so excited. It was like, aren't you excited? Aren't you excited? Like they assumed everybody would be excited to see this rabbi. And so he comes he comes in in his Mercedes Benz and he pulls in. And they're like they're singing. And this whole, the whole area is just echoing with the voices of Jews singing, which was pretty cool. It was like nighttime. The wall was like echoing. He gets out, prays, and then he gets back in and starts to drive away. And they all just, like, start running. The chairs start falling over. It was, like, it was just crazy. Thank you. Thank you. America. From America. We're in America. Indiana. Indiana. New Jersey. But in the midst of that, uh, one of the Jews saw me, and I guess he recognized that you're not from here. And so I was like, what's going on, man? And he, and he started explaining... And I, I do not know how this happened. I don't know exactly what ended up happening, uh, how we got from from talking about what they're doing to uh, uh, what ended up happening. But what ended up happening was we got to talk about Jesus right there at the, the, the Welling Wall. I mean, literally right there with hundreds of Jews all around. I think it started, we, we, we actually exchanged hats. I let him wear my cowboy hat and he, yeah, he, he let me wear his hat. And and um, they asked, you know, are we Jewish? I said, no, I'm Christian. Uh, and then we just got talking. And so we spent an hour and a half there at the Welling Wall going back and forth with them. Uh, friendly conversation about Jesus being the Messiah. We started all the way. I started with them all the way back in Genesis. 
we talked about basically I, I, I walked through covenant theology with them and all the promises pointing to Jesus the, the, the seed of the woman shall crush the seed of the serpent we, we got through the faith of Abraham looking forward and, and the purpose of, of, of why God called the Jews and Moses and the Mosaic law we, we talked about Psalm 2 and, and um, Psalm 110, Isaiah 53, Ezekiel. We talked about the Sabbath because one of, one of their contentions is that uh, Jesus couldn't be the Messiah because he taught people to break the, the Torah. He taught people to break God's commands. And so I said, no, 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 no. That's not what he said. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law of the prophets. Uh, Jesus came to f- fulfill them and filled them up and... and and, and as Christians, uh, as Reformed, uh, uh, I think you probably would agree, we keep the Sabbath, but we leave it as the Lord's Day. And so I yep. was able to, I pointed to uh, just the, all the times the Old Testament talked about the eighth day. And this was a funny thing, because in Ezekiel, it talks about there would be a, a, a growth in um, holiness and, and a desiring for the light. And then on the, from the eighth day onward, the, 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 the preaching would go forth. Uh, I'm kind of paraphrasing it. And so, of course, Jesus rose on the eighth day, and that's the day that we celebrate, which the, the kind of this new creation and expansion of the gospel. And when I told them that, they looked at it, they were like, oh, yeah, that's for when the, 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 the Messiah comes. And I'm like, uh, he already came. And like that kind of, that, there were a few times where that kind of rocked them a little bit. They had some pretty challenging questions about the genealogy of Christ and some of their translations of passages in the Old Testament. Uh, you can tell we're, we're given to try to write Jesus out of the passage, particularly Psalm 2. Actually, in the way it means kisses, but in a different, a different way it means... Instead of kiss the sun, uh, it said keep pure or something like that. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Say, say, yeah, do homage to the sun or kiss the sun lest he be angry. It was like... Uh, keep pure lest god be angry and 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 so uh um it is not what uh obviously they uh, they they had in fact they got their tanakh out which is the hebrew bible and we were just going back and forth back and forth and uh it was it was surreal because this is kind of like you just this doesn't happen that you would sit at the welling wall with 40 to 50 jews and and have them ask questions about Jesus and to be able to explain that to them. You know, I don't know that any got saved. Uh, I do know uh, finally there was one Jew that didn't understand English, but I think he figured out that we were missionaries. And so he started yelling, missionary, missionary. He was like a guard dog. And about after an hour and a half, he was yelling. And then and then uh, he wouldn't shut up. And they kept telling him, be quiet, be quiet. We want to hear what they're saying. And it's okay, it's okay, but he would not shut up. And then finally, an older, I think, uh, Jew, some older man came over, and he just, like, said something. I don't know what he said, but this look of shame came on all of their faces. And they were like, we've got to go, we've got to go. And they're like, uh, why don't you come with us, and we'll go somewhere else and talk about this. And so I wish we had done that, but it was getting, it was, like, way past midnight, and I was exhausted. And so I was just like, yeah, thank you, this is a good time. That's, uh, 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 you know, I appreciate all your time. And so we ended up going back to the hotel room. But for me, that was probably the highlight of the trip. Well, yeah, for 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 me, um, I remember waking up and seeing the post or I was going to bed. I can't remember what it was, one or the other. 
and it was the most encouraging moment. I wasn't even involved in it. Uh, so just uh, that you guys got to be a part of that. And, you know, it goes back to the original question, like, is is, is it fruitful to go and, and minister to the Jews in their context, to be direct with the gospel? And I think, you know, um, you have to trust the sovereignty of God in many ways. Like, he tells us to proclaim his word and, to you know, we, we believe that he ordains our steps. You guys were, were lost and a Jewish woman helped you find your way back. And then the next thing you know, you're in an opportune time to share the gospel. And by opening your mouth, it was really, to me, the highlight of the trip, too, to show that, you know, God does want his people to go to the lost sheep of Israel and proclaim Christ, uh, to hoist Christ on high. Go ahead. And that's, that's yeah, no, don't go. I, I was going to say, that's the thing with the street preaching is that, like, I know there are people that oppose it and they think, well, you're just you're just yelling at people or you're just making people angry. And some people did get angry, but every single time it drew people in and there were conversations. And we actually yeah. had a lot of people give us encouragement. Like we appreciate it. women break down and cry. Going back to that time in uh, uh, um, Zion Square, uh, there were some Korean women that came up and started, uh, you know, arguing with the police and the others to let us to keep doing it so yeah i remember i remember um why don't, uh michael why don't you tell uh did, is there any conversations that you remember that just stick out to you other that you had yeah uh me and uh, adam albright um i can't remember i think it well i don't remember what day it was exactly but we we ended up dialoguing with a muslim guy and i have it on uh my gopro for almost an hour, and uh, the conversation was extremely fruitful. He um, let us talk. Of course, he had all the typical Islamic arguments that he had been uh, brainwashed with. But um, just watching God's hands begin to peel back the layers over that or over his eyes, and at least getting getting him to question um, what he was taught or what he believed. Um, so for me, that was a, 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 a huge highlight. Another another time was I think the first day we were there, me and, and same 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 Adam Adam Albright. We were out the same way you and Jerry were one night just walking. The first night actually, we were walking through the city, and some guy came up to us in perfect English and said, "Are you guys lost?" And we said, "We're just trying to get here." And he goes, "Oh, follow me." And he, then he started talking. And he said, he asked me what I do. And I said, oh, I'm a missionary in Romania. And he goes, oh, I'm a missionary too. I'm a Jewish missionary. And then Adam asked him, what do you think of Yeshua HaMashiach? And he says, I don't. And from there, we ended up having a, we walked with them all the way to the uh, the, the town hall, or the city hall in, in the, the city and talking to him about Jesus. And I ended up just backing off because he said, okay, you guys are ganging up on me. So I just let Adam take the reins, but that was a really cool moment as well. And and I think all of us had those moments. But yeah, for me, those were the two big conversations that were positive. Um, but you know, I personally believe that there's no such thing as unsuccessful evangelism. Um, the Apostle Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter two that we are the aroma of Christ to those to some it's the aroma of death, i.e. the reprobate, and to others it's the aroma of life. Uh, and I think even some highlights, we're seeing the, at least for now, we don't know who the reprobate, only God knows, but seeing people being repelled by the gospel was also a highlight saying, wow, Jesus wasn't lying, that, you know, you will be hated for my namesake. If they hated me, they'll hate you. So those were highlights too, not that we were gloating in our persecution, but just seeing that Christ's words were true and that 
Um, even that this was, you know, the gospel is a message of condemnation to the reprobate. It's only good news to those who are being saved. So that's, those were highlights for me too. Yeah, I, uh, the that's something that, that I think if we can get Christians to really understand that when we share the gospel and we do so in faith, even though we're weak, we, we make mistakes, we don't know everything, God is always pleased to use the proclamation of the gospel for his purposes. And it yep. includes repelling the goats and bringing in the sheep. And, Absolutely. Um, and it, it can be difficult if, if you're just seeing, it seems like, okay, there's just a whole lot of goats. But you got to, you, you, I, I think of the prophets in the Old Testament, man. At least we don't have it like Jeremiah, right? Having yeah. no, no converts, hearing no one is going to repent. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Um, you know, and, and, and for me, um, I'm sure you would agree with, like, I used to be, before I embraced the doctrines of grace, I used to be a bait and switch type of guy. We got to lure him in and then, but then after I realized, no, salvation is of the Lord, it actually gave me the confidence to go out on the streets and open my mouth. Uh, now there's no pressure, and that doesn't mean we're uncompassionate or we don't look. We don't want the lost to be saved. Some street preachers are guilty of that. They just get caught up in the methodology. But anyone who truly loves the Lord and, and uh, understands the doctrines of grace goes out with a heart uh, for the lost, but totally with the confidence that God is the one who saves. Um, so, yeah, I wish more Christians understood that. So... Um... Anything else you want to say? I'm going to, I'm going to transition here in just a second to kind of talk about some application that we can. We kind of already kind of doing that here. Yeah. Uh, 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 um, application we can take from our trip and then maybe help them because this is a podcast for men. But maybe before we get to that, uh, any, anything else that you just want to highlight from the trip that we we want to talk about? Um. Well, I, I think um, sometimes when you are going out and even whether it's street preaching or street evangelizing sometimes you can feel alone in that endeavor and for me in particularly it was like no there are other brothers that are doing this and it was such an encouragement um not only to labor with people but also the dialogues that we had about hey i remember jerry was telling me because one of the things we're struggling with right now is trying to relaunch street evangelism pre-covid we were as a church we were very active evangelistically but lots of things happened we had a church split and all kinds of stuff over covid and trying to get that off the ground and jerry said well one of the ways i did that was we just started we had a prayer station so people who weren't used to it got used to being in the public so stuff like that to me was a huge encouragement hearing how people lead their churches how they do evangelism and it just made me feel like uh okay i'm not alone in the way that i think or the way that we're doing this uh, because in our city here, we're the only Reformed church in the entire city. So um, sometimes I feel we feel lonely and we get a lot of uh, resentment and hatred from Christians. <laughs> Never mind the, the world. So that's probably not a highlight of the trip of actually what took place in Israel, but it's a highlight for me personally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, 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 there's a, the, the bond of brotherhood and of battle that happens. Yeah. I think, you know, the, the scriptures talk a lot about our, our, the unity of the spirit that we have, that God unites us. And I, I think part of that uniting is a uniting for a mission. It's got a, it's a work that we have, where we have work to do. And, and when we do that work, being persecuted, seeing God's work, work in and through us and, and all those things, 
together, it just unites brothers into a, a, a stronger thing. A lot of times people have, I think, no sense of brotherhood within the church. Yeah. And it's yep. probably because they're not ever engaged in the battles together. Man, that's 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 such a huge point. I, I would agree. I think, um, I don't know, maybe this is good for your podcast. The, the church has largely become feminized from multiple standpoints. Men are called to, you know, wage war, man. We're called to pick up our crosses and go into the battlefield. And for me personally, like um, doing this with you guys, uh, not only the camaraderie, but I also felt like, man, and I hope this ends up being the case that the, like, uh, the, church, the, the, the trip is still fresh, but I felt like, man, these are brothers for life. These are life going to hopefully lifelong friends, even if it's from afar with these brothers. And I think that men need that. And I think, uh, personally, I think a lot of men in church just get bored. Church is boring. If, if men are called to be active and, and, and to be workers and to be laborers and soldiers, and Paul even uses that language in, in, you know, when he talks to Timothy, that, you know, to suffer as a soldier. And I think men need that more than the way church is normally lived out and presented in in, in the modern yeah. day world. So... Yeah, working together. I mean, there's ways to do that. It doesn't actually mean you have to go to Israel or somewhere <laughs> to accomplish that. But God uses that. In fact, you know, um, uh, years ago I went on trips to the Philippines, and I still have a connection to those men in my my heart more than I yep. did other people. So uh, um, it's one of the things I'm actually uh, praying about and hoping that uh, Pastor Jerry and I and, and you and others can go back and bring some other men from our churches. And, I would and, love that, brother. Yeah. Uh, um, something else that uh, uh, also stuck out, speaking of manly stuff, for me um, on the trip, uh, I think you'll probably agree, it, and you've been there more than once, so it may yeah. not have stuck out this time, but it was like seeing the locations and putting like <laughs> I know time. Going, yeah. yeah, you know where I'm going. So the, yeah. putting like distances uh, you, you, what, what was the thing that you told us we would always remember? You remember that? Yeah, the first day I said, you're always going to remember the hills of Israel because there's no <laughs> place in Israel that doesn't have hills. It's, yeah. it's every, literally everywhere. Yeah, Jerusalem especially, man. We walked, I think somebody said they had a, 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 a one of those things to keep track of your steps. We walked, I think, in a few days, 50 miles. Yeah, well, actually, uh, at the end, the, the day that I left, Adam and Adam and Bobby had it, and they told me in total that we'd walked over 75 miles up to that point. Oh, wow. So, so okay. I didn't even, man, that's nuts. Yeah, we, <laughs> we, 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 we were trucking, man. And, and a lot of it was up hills. I mean, almost the entire time was going up and down hills. Especially with the Mount of Olives, man. When the oh, Bible says <laughs> after the, yeah. the, the, the the Lord's Supper there, they went out to the Mount of Olives, you just think, yeah. oh, okay. They just kind of went out there. <laughs> uh, no, yeah. <laughs> it yeah, was so a you hike. Walk up and your, leg, your knees are burning and your lungs are you know, struggling to breathe. So. Yeah. And so seeing those distances, like from like, it takes two and a half hours going, you know, at interstate speeds to get from Jerusalem to, to Nazareth. Yeah, uh, and that's internet and um, inter- interstate speeds, and uh, kind of avoiding some hills. I, you just got to think when uh, anybody in the scriptures, but in particular, I'm thinking of our Lord and Savior. When it says he traveled these places, you you got to know then that he was not 
a wuss. I mean, he was no, exactly. I mean, that 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 perception and that image of Jesus that people have is a, a farce. And if you go to Israel and you keep that in mind that he actually went on these through these places on foot, it really emphasizes the manliness of Jesus, in my opinion. And I know we talked about that while we were there, but I, it couldn't be more than uh, emphasized more. In fact, I think it needs to be talked about more. That's my personal opinion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he he had to be in super good shape. And, he was in better and, shape than us, brother. And then when we we went to Jericho and the wilderness region, and like that was like a desert. And I remember we went up to the Mount of Temptation, and I don't know if that's the actual mount, but like spending forty days there without food or water. Yeah. Yeah. Man, just trying to wrap your mind around it. Even if it's not the place, the Jericho Desert in itself is hot, arid. I mean, it's it's exhausting just to be there for a few hours, never mind 40 days. Yeah. So, so yes, uh, uh, our Lord is uh, very masculine. So those are some of the things that stuck out. That's uh, We've been kind of putting flesh on this and application, but that's just, let's spend kind of the rest of uh, our our. Uh, interview here just okay men that haven't been there we've been talking about these things what can they do what what uh what what can we teach and, and help our men in our, in our churches from this so what are maybe a couple things that you would say these are things the lord taught you and and all men need to learn from it well, so one of the things that's always uh, bothered me about being a missionary and a street preacher is, is that uh, a large category of the body of Christ tends to live vicariously through videos that get put online or seeing people go. And the reason why we put out those videos is not so people live vicariously through them, so but rather so they could be an inspiration. And you don't have to go... Going to the the Holy Land or the Unholy Land, as it more aptly uh, should be aptly described, you don't have to do that. You can uh, step out in your own communities and look what uh, what we've done as a team, uh, and use that as inspiration, and and step out and say, you know what, I am going to take that step, and I'm going to open my mouth and trust that God is going to be with me when I share the gospel in my workplace, or if I can organize a group for my church. To go into the public square, we're not special people. We're, we are normal people saved by grace, and we, we are, the, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, that we are what we are by God's grace. So, you know, the apostles said many times, Lord, give us more faith, increase our faith. The idea is that we need more grace. So I don't know if this is a, 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 what you're looking for, but for me, I get really sick and tired of people living vicariously, either living vicariously through people uh, like us or what we did, or feeling convicted about it, and then in turn criticizing it in an in a inappropriate way. Both are, I think, rooted in from the same place. Men need to be stepping out and doing what God has commanded us to do, just to do the land uh, through the preaching of the gospel. Um, so yeah, I, I think the application would be, don't look to us as being some type of, you know, super christians or something like that but saying hey this is they're just being the men that god called us all to be and that you can apply that in your own context in your own families in your own churches that's uh that's it in short for me yeah i think uh that that's uh some of the things i would say too is that uh you don't have to go overseas to do this work 
you can do it in your home. You can do yeah, it with your family. Absolutely. For one, and with your begin with your family, your children, right? They you need disciples. Uh, make disciples of your 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 children. Going back yeah. to something we said very earlier, uh, doing this work, make sure your work is not just external. Like yeah. the heart needs to be reached, and then that will overflow. Because you know, the, as I look at the Hasidic Jews, there's a lot of things that I really love about them. But one of the things that I mean, I love that they they like when they were singing at the Welling Wall. These men, it was manly. It yep. was reverberating. It was awesome. And uh, the, the problem was they were like, it was all like because they were, in a sense, worshiping this man who was a rabbi. Right? They, were, they were chasing after him. They thought, in one sense, they think he might be the Messiah. And so they always have this anticipation. But it was very much uh, the, what Jesus said, exchanging the traditions I mean, the, the, the word of God for the tradition of man and that kind of thing. But yet there was there was something really guttural about their singing. There was something really good about uh, 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 the, their large families. They're wanting to maintain a culture and um, even their commitment to, to going to pray and, uh, be, and not afraid to look different and be different and to be firm. And, and, and these Jews were in particular were against like homosexuality. We would agree with probably a whole lot of the th- external things. But uh, uh, the point I'm making is as you engage in your work, don't just be external. You got to have your heart right with the Lord and then train your children up and, and, and de- you can learn and develop these uh, cultural things traditions that come up out of your faith uh, yeah. and proceed from good. them. Yeah, uh, that's good. And, 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 and I, I didn't until you said this right now, I never put two and two together, but I would say the larger group at the Wailing Wall was predominantly men. Uh, and, you know, the women are, the women have their section too, but I think it's predominantly male that's there. And that's the way it should be. In my opinion, men should lead. So, yeah. The men should, yeah. And so there were, there was a lot of good things, you know, to look to, uh, even same thing with the, uh, the Arabs and stuff. Uh, I, I actually really enjoyed the Palestinian people and, mm-hmm. and felt, felt for them. But, uh, as far as application, men train up your children in the, the way of the Lord, get involved in sharing the gospel. Uh, it does, it's not everybody necessarily called to be a street preacher, but we can all be called to hand out tracks. Uh, uh, engage in conversations, and and one of the things I noticed is like, okay, yeah, there's gonna be people that get angry, but again, every place we went, even when we went to the Pride event, there were yeah. people that wanted to hear and were open to having conversations, and and it wasn't just true in Israel because we we came home from Israel and on the plane rides, we uh, 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 Jerry and I were sharing the gospel with different people, and there were some people that were open to having conversations, even in the United States. I think people yeah. are, are more open to at least discussing the gospel than we realize. I think we're afraid that everything is going to turn into like they're going to kill us or everything's going to turn into like they're going to laugh and mock us when really uh, we have the truth and we shouldn't be afraid to, to proclaim that truth. Well, and I would, I, if I can just chime in here with everything that you said, not being afraid to proclaim the truth because people, the truth will set us free. Um, you know, uh, 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 engaging in evangelism and raising your kids in the Lord. I think all three of these things go together. 
your kids need to see that sharing the gospel is a part of living out there. You want to raise your kids right in the Lord. You don't teach them to hide their faith and to, you know, live under the basket of a church meeting. No, we're supposed to not shine our, uh, hide our lights under a basket, but shine before all men. So even raising your children in the Lord, they need to see fathers. They need to see men of God and what that really looks like and sharing the gospel with the confidence, not not that we have any power in ourselves, but that God is going to sovereignly call his sheep through the proclamation of the gospel. And that's what you want your kids to see. Um, so I think all these things kind of link together in terms of an application standpoint. You want to raise your kids in the Lord? Let them see you evangelize, you know, and uh, through the evangelism that you do, you you will grow as a man. You'll grow in your confidence. Your kids will see what, what a, a true Christian looks like when they're living out their faith and so on and so forth. I hope you enjoyed that interview and some of that footage. Let me end our episode today by saying a word about modern Judaism and the Middle East. The Holy Scriptures make it clear that Jesus Christ came fulfilling the promises given all throughout the Old Testament. All of God's Word and all of His work throughout the history of Israel pointed to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. The promise of Christ started right after Adam and Eve sinned when God promised that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the seed of the serpent. After giving that promise, Eve had two children. Now surely one of them would fulfill that promise. I'm sure she had to think that, but no. Sadly, Cain killed Abel. All hope, though, was not lost. Seth was born, and it was through his lineage that Noah came. Noah's lineage led to Abraham. Abraham had Isaac. and But while Isaac was the child of the promise, he didn't fulfill the promise. In fact, he was not the one to fulfill the promise. He had children and on down the line. God was not going to forget his promise, though. He was going to keep his promise. And as time progressed, the promised seed narrowed from Abraham to Isaac, from Isaac to Jacob, from Jacob to Judah. Eventually, the people of God found their way to Egypt by the hands of God's providence and a famine. There they were enslaved and they languished for many years. Once again, God did not forget his promise. He raised up Moses, who led the people out of slavery and to the land promised to Abraham. Of course, the people lacked faith. And because of that, they were condemned to wander about in the desert for 40 years, grumbling and complaining against the provisions of God. Moses, before he died, told the people that God would raise up another prophet like him one day and that they should obey that prophet. Moses died not entering into the promised land, but seeing it from afar. Joshua, his successor, led the people into the promised land, where they defeated many of their enemies and experienced a great time of blessing under his leadership. But then he too died. And when his generation passed from the scene, the people did not finish all of the conquest, but rather they began to adapt the practices of the pagans in the land. And this was a very dark time, the time of the judges. A time when God would send calamity upon his people as discipline. And when they would cry out, he would raise up a judge to defend them. Sometimes the judges were cowards. Sometimes they gave themselves and their strength to women. Sometimes a judge was a woman who was raised up to shame the men of Israel. 
But the truth is God was going to keep his promise of crushing the serpent's head, even though the people whom he had chose to bring that seed from were rebellious. The book of Judges ends in a very dark time when everyone doing what is right in their own eyes. But on the hills of that, God raised up a prophet named Samuel. Samuel, who would be the last judge and be the first prophet to anoint a king in Israel. But that first king was not the true king. He was a wicked man, Saul. He was not the king after God's own heart. Then Samuel anointed David. And David was that man. He was a man beloved by God from the tribe of Judah. He brought in his time, in the time of his son, a golden age to the nation of Israel. And so maybe he was the promised one. But alas, he was an imperfect man. A man whose sins and violence kept him from even being able to build the temple. His sins caused much pain to his own family and even to the people of Israel. Yet God was going to be faithful. He would keep his promise to Eve and Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob and Moses and now to David. God promised to David that one of his sons would sit on the throne forever. David was not the true promised king to come, though he was a type pointing to that king. David wrote many songs that would point to the promised one to come and many prophecies regarding him. As time would pass, God's people would have good kings and bad kings. Their kingdom would be split in two. They would rebel against God's law. Idolatry, adultery, and pride filled the land. And God disciplined them by having foreign nations take them into captivity when they would not listen to the prophets. Prophets who rebuked them, warned of God's judgment, but prophets that pointed them to the promise of the Messiah, a Messiah who would fulfill the mission to be a light to the nations. The promise was going to be fulfilled. And this Messiah came at the fullest of time. He came born of a virgin. He lived perfect and holy, and he called the people to repent of their hypocrisy. He showed that the law of God was to obey not just externally, but internally in the heart. And they hated him. The darkness hated the light. But he warned them time and time again that if they would not repent, they would suffer. He told parable after parable, story after story, explaining that he was the Messiah. Also explaining that they would reject the Messiah and God would then destroy their temple and city. So would all hope be lost? No. God still has his people. It would not just be those physically descended from Abraham who would inherit the promises, but all those who trusted in the seed of Abraham, which is Christ. They are the children of Abraham. The gospel came. It would first be proclaimed to the Jew. Good news. Your sins can be forgiven. The Messiah has come. And then that good news is proclaimed to the Gentile. The Apostle Paul teaches us that in this, God was removing the dividing wall, but was bringing those who were once strangers to the commonwealth of Israel into the very heart of what it means to be Israel. God's true church, whether in the Old Testament or in the New, had always been those who had faith in the promised one of God. Those who were merely part of the covenant community externally will be broken off 
if they do not produce good fruit. They need to repent and abide in the vine. Then, in 70 AD, just as Jesus had proclaimed, the Romans destroyed Jerusalem, and with it, the temple. Jesus had said that there was a time coming when people would not worship on that mountain anymore, but would worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus, the Messiah, had brought the one-time sacrifice which atoned for sins. He was the great high priest. He was the prophet like Moses, but greater than Moses, as the son is greater than a slave in the house. Jesus, who was crucified and was buried, rose again. He was seen by man, many men, 500 at one time. And then he ascended into heaven. And he sits at the right hand of God right now, having received all authority in heaven and on earth. The people had plotted in vain. But God had established his king on his holy mountain. Jesus, prophet, priest, king, Messiah, the son of God. He is Adonai. He is Yahweh. It was after Christ's resurrection and ascension, the gospel went forth to the nations. As, as it went forth to the nations, God brought judgment upon unbelieving Israel and destroyed the temple. And that's because with Christ making the perfect sacrifice and with the church being a spiritual temple, there was no need for the shadow, the thing that pointed to these realities, to these truths, to exist. After this time, though, unbelieving Jews had to come up with something to explain it all. They had to find a way to explain their rebellion to the Messiah and how they rejected him and how God had rejected them. And so their rabbis came up with many explanations for why the law requiring sacrifices, for example, was, was altered or, or at least delayed. And it was this excuse-making, this tradition of men that modern Judaism is built on. It's built on the teaching of man. It's not the Old Testament religion. Now, many people make this mistake. They think that, well, Jews just kept practicing the same old religion after Christ. But... Christ made that impossible with the destruction of the temple. No, modern Judaism is really built on the traditions of rabbis and rabbis, and recent traditions at that. In fact, you know, when you look at the ultra-Orthodox Jews, for example, that tradition comes about from the 1800s. Right During the 1800s, there was a reformed movement, a, a liberalizing movement, and in response to that came the ultra-Orthodox Jews, the Hasidic Jew movement. And that's why they dress like they're from the 1800s. Now, having said all this, I think it's important then for us Christians to know that we are the recipients of the promises. The church did not come replacing Israel, but that's because true Israel is Christ and all those who are in him. And that's the way it's always been. True Israel are those who have believed in Christ. And therefore, in him, both Jews and Gentiles are united together, one body. Christ is the vine, we are the branches. Christianity, then, is the Old Testament religion and the continuation of it into our own time. It always pointed to Christ. It always will. When it comes to physical Jews, the Bible does say that the gospel goes to them. Right? The good news of Jesus is not just for Gentiles, but for Jews. And right now, many Jews have had their hearts hardened. And God, because of this, has brought into his fold many, many, many Gentiles. 
This is an embarrassment to the Jews who rejected the Messiah. It should make them jealous to serve God. And I believe that one day as the gospel goes forth and the knowledge of God covers the earth as the waters cover the seas, that the Jews will in mass repent and turn to Christ. God keeps his promises. And this won't be because they built a third temple and began offering animal sacrifices. No, that's blasphemy against Christ who made that sacrifice. No, it'll be as they, like Abraham, look for a city not built by human hands. Rather, they, like us who believe in Christ, will be born from above with a heavenly Jerusalem, the mother of us all. So what does this mean for the land in the Middle East? Well, it was the place where God chose to work out his promises. Uh, God's promises are tangible and real. And God himself entered into human flesh. And so our Christian religion is not just all spiritual. It, it's tangible. It, it has real roots in real places with real people. But all of this was always meant to point us to greater promises. For example, the land promises given to Abraham were ultimately filled in as he looked forward to a city, looking forward to something greater. In fact, Jesus tells us what these promises are when he says the meek inherit the earth. Or the apostle Paul, when he instructs children to obey their parents, he says they will live long in the earth, in the land, right? Not just the land of the Middle East, but children who obey the Lord will live long in the land. And this is because the Messiah reigns over the whole world. And one day he will return to judge the world. He will judge the wicked. He will judge the good, the living and the dead. There will be a judgment. There'll be some form of recreation of the heavens and the earth. Um, so we're not looking then for an earthly kingdom to be established here. We're, we're not looking for Jesus to come and set up a throne in Israel on the Temple Mount. And because of that, we don't have an obligation then to, to that land. We don't have an obligation to support Jews over Palestinians or vice versa. We're not Zionist. We do believe, though, that the gospel should be proclaimed in all the earth. The streets of Jerusalem should ring with the name of Jesus. The hills of Galilee should still thunder forth the gospel. The deserts of Jericho should proclaim the mercies of the Messiah. And so should the sidewalks of New York, London, Chicago, Louisville, southern Indiana, and, and wherever you are from. Every nation, every city, every tribe, every people must bow the knee to King Jesus. There's forgiveness and salvation found in no other name than in Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. And so whether you are a Jew by blood or Gentile, you must confess that Jesus is Lord. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Patriarchy Podcast. If you've watched this on YouTube, subscribe, click the bell to get notified of the latest episodes. If you listen to it again, go, go watch it. I think you'll enjoy it. And let me give you just a little bit of housekeeping uh, um, information, news about the, uh, the, the podcast. Uh, I'm going to be trying to keep a schedule of putting an episode out every other week. Uh, and I'm doing that so I can put out the best content possible, also while fulfilling my duties as a pastor. Some of the things that we got coming up, I think you're really going to enjoy. I've got a, a debate scheduled between a Credo Baptist and a Pado Baptist. So we're going to do the Great Baptism debate. We're going to settle it once for all here on the Patriarchy Podcast. I'm being a little 
facetious about that. But uh, I'm hoping to get other debates. I would like to have a a, a modern Jew debate a Christian or or a, a Muslim debate a Christian. So if you know anybody be interested in doing that, we'd love to have them on the podcast. Of course, we're going to continue to put out information and things that are encouraging to men as they are to build up their homes and and love their wives and train their children and be faithful in the Lord. So uh, subscribe. I think you're going to uh, be pleased with some of the stuff uh, coming out soon. But until next time, if you've not yet bowed your knee to Christ, now is the time. Repent and believe. And if you have, this is our call as men. Build, fight, protect, and lead. This is The Patriarchy. (laughs) 